Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Coming up on today's show, new details on The Witcher remake, Game Awards speculation is underway, and Doc Brooke is here. Everybody and welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff every Friday. I am Andrea Renee, joined by Mrs. Rihanna Manuel Pena. Hello, how are you doing today? I'm great, feeling good after Thanksgiving. I got some good deals, and I still feel like I missed out on a lot. Yeah, the stress of Cyber Monday, you know, Black Friday weekend and whatnot. But we're joined by a very special guest, the one, the only researcher and content creator Doc Brooke is here. Hello, everyone. I'm so glad that you can be on the show with us this week. For those who are unfamiliar, Brooke is an amazing part of the What's Good Games community and is part of our excellent mod team over on Discord, discord.gg slash what's good games if you guys want to join us over there and of course on Twitch. And you have been doing all kinds of streaming and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. And maybe you're thinking at this point, well, where the heck is Brittany Brombacher? And I will say that she had some baby obligations to attend to as you do when babies be babying and she will be (laughs) back next week of course is our official God of War Ragnarok spoiler cast because that is going up the week of the Game Awards. As y'all know, if you've been listening to What's Good Games for a while, we, because of when we publish, we're not able to cover the Game Awards in the episode that publishes the day after the awards. We will, of course, talk about them the following week. And Brittany's in town to record our end-of-the-year specials, which is very exciting. But yes, I digress talking about Brittany. We're glad that you guys are all here. I want to say thank you to this month's Patreon producers, Chewie Scott on Alex Rogopoulos, Ferris Atia, Justin Foshi, and Punctified. And welcome to our Patreon community, Robert Michaelscheck. Hope I got that one right. Sis Montaigne and Burrito. You can join us at patreon.com slash what's good games if you want to help support our voices in the community of video games. And another way to support us without spending a dime, not even a dollar, not a nickel or a penny, is to leave us a five-star review. Just a few minutes of your time is all we ask, and it greatly helps out the podcast. So thank you to everybody who has done that so far. This week's show is also brought to you by Shopify, which I'll tell you more about later. But before we get into the news, Rihanna, we have some fun news that's not video game news related, but it's What's Good Games and Bungie related. We do. Charity related. We do. Ladies and gentlemen, we're doing a stream. <gasps> we're streaming again, folks. Hey. Yay. <laughs> so if you could help me explain this amazing game to give stream that we are doing, because you have spearheaded setting this up, and I am very excited that you did and that we're going to be working with them. Absolutely. So game to give is a charitable foundation run by Bungie, who we all know and love as the arbiters of 
the Destiny franchise. So they reached out to us and asked if we would be part of their charitable campaign for 2022. So Andrea and I will be playing Destiny 2. We're going to dust off those old guardians and (laughs) see if we can maybe do a couple of multiplayer matches, possibly a dungeon. We'll we'll see what's possible with our, our power levels. It's no longer a light level. I know that's different. Hey, now, hey, but. hey. <laughs> I, I wanna be clear here. We're not it's not like we haven't played in a like an incredibly long time. It's no. only been like a couple of months. Yeah. yeah my guardian's not that out of shape, but <laughs> We're really excited about it because it's going to be about a four-hour stream. We're doing it Saturday, December 10th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Pacific time. And from 10 to noon, the folks at Game to Give are going to be featuring What's Good Games on the front page of Twitch, which is very exciting and also a little stressful. (laughs) (laughs) As people who work on Twitch or stream on Twitch know that it's a great way to get some new eyeballs on your channel and to expand your community. But also, you know... It gets some unsavories, as I like to call them, on your channel as well. So if y'all want to come and join (laughs) us and let them know what the What's Good Games community is all about, we'd love to have you. Absolutely. I've got prizes. Yeah, we got stuff to give away. So you can earn in-game items. There might be some real-life items, possibly, on the table. There are. I've got them hiding behind the desk over Mm. there. I've got some cool things I'm going to take photos of. I've had this gift box of, like, (laughs) random swag that I've collected over the last couple of years and it's like this just this giant mystery grab box of stuff that is already packed and ready to ship i've got that i've got some other goodies that i'm going to be giving away and of course as rihanna said there's um digital items and in-game things specifically for destiny as well so hopefully y'all can stop by twitch.tv slash what's good games and join us Fingers, business guns. (laughs) All right, let's get into the news, shall we? Let me preface this by saying this is probably the lightest news week I've seen all year. It was a struggle. And (laughs) is it clear that it's the week between Thanksgiving and the Game Awards? Yes. Typically, though, this week isn't this barren. But when your lead story is The Witcher 1 remake (laughs) will be open world, it's like, cool. That sounds fun. Do you have anything to show? Oh, not yet? Okay. I guess we'll just keep waiting. But the news comes by way of a quarterly financial call held yesterday, writes Game Informer, where CDPR briefly touched on the remake being handled by developer Fool's Theory, as previously reported by VG247. While not much was revealed, CDPR did reveal in the slide pictured below, if you guys go to the GameInformer.com story, codename Canis Majoris, which we now know, of course, is The Witcher remake, will be story-driven, single-player, open-world RPG with a modern reimagining of 2007's The Witcher. Anybody surprised by this? Not me. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta make that money. I think it's interesting, though, when we talk about The Witcher franchise, it feels like a franchise that's really ubiquitous that has been talked about a lot in the video game world, but I don't know very many people that have actually played The Witcher 1, let alone The Witcher 2, which is an excellent game, by the way, if you've never played. So I think this is a really great opportunity for CDPR to take the origin of this franchise and introduce it to a bunch of new players. And I think we forget that 2007 was a very different time in open world RPGs than (laughs) it is now. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to get back into the the Witcher series. I tried very briefly <laughs> playing <laughs> the most recent game, and I was very overwhelmed. And there were a lot of objectives and lots of spaces to go into. Yeah. And I was like, okay, maybe not right now. I'm definitely gonna think about revisiting this because it is a remake. I know I thoroughly enjoyed the Final Fantasy VII remake, and I know there's yeah. lots of differences between that game and the original. But it's what it needed to get someone like me into it, right? Like when we were in the, the year of 2007, I was just like, what, second year of college. I was playing games in my dorm on my Xbox. Like I wasn't really spending a lot of time with games as a single player experience. It was mostly multiplayer for me. As you all know, I started with Halo. So this is really exciting because I can finally get into that RPG bag that I missed, right? I missed that initial wave back in those times. And my fingers are crossed that this will be optimized for Steam Deck because, as I'll get into later in our hands-on section, I've been playing God of War 2018 on Steam Deck, and it's now my preferred single-player console. Like, I don't know when this happened. I don't know how it happened, but I just love checking boxes and finding ravens and <laughs> completing all these little side missions in the palm of my hand. Like, it's a really great experience. So I'm for one, looking forward to it. And I'm excited by this news, but I, I realize it's maybe not earth shattering or anything surprising. I also exactly. think from like a game preservation standpoint, I've tried to go back and play the original Witcher after playing Witcher 3 and really enjoying it. And it did not age particularly well. Like you said, 2007 was a different time. So the fact that there's a remake, so we still get some of that content and that story, but it's updated to be a lot more playable is exciting to me too. 100%. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into it. And then maybe this will get me like excited to play the rest of them. <laughs> That's yeah. the goal, right? They, they want that halo mm -hmm. effect for all of the different properties in the IP. There's definitely a lot there. It's more daunting of an undertaking than even trying to play like the Mass Effect trilogy from start to finish for the first time because the games are just that much bigger and the RPG systems are that much deeper because I feel like the RPG mechanics are more gameplay-based in The Witcher than mm. they are narrative-based, which they are in the Mass Effect series. But really great. I've been rereading, well, not rereading, but reading, rereading some, but then reading for the first time some of The Witcher books. Oh. And that's been that's been really fun. And I had a couple of them still in the plastic when my sister came to visit back in October. And she was like, why are those books still in the plastic? And I was like, because I just got them. I haven't had time. Cut me some slack. <laughs> I can't read as much as I want to. It's just like you're not Dang. attending to your nerd duties quite <laughs> yeah. as attentively as you should be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But she's a big Witcher diehard and she loves that game. And so I think she's pretty pumped for this too. All right. Speaking of RPGs, Monster Hunter Rise is reportedly heading to PlayStation and Xbox in January. And this story comes from Eurogamer. Prolific leaker Tom Henderson's Insider Gaming reports that Capcom will bring the acclaimed title to PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Series X and S and Game Pass on the 20th of January next year. Monster Hunter Rise has been a significant hit for Capcom on Switch and PC, recently surpassing 11 million units of sales and its Sunbreak expansion has now sold over 4.4 million copies. That is incredible. I didn't realize they had yeah. sold so much. But obviously, Monster Hunter has been doing incredibly well, and I loved my time with World on the PlayStation 4, so I would love to play Rise on PS5 if they can give it some nice graphical upgrades. It's not like I, you know, have a lot of time to sink into another big <laughs> RPG, but I'd do it! 
I'd do it. And it feels like this is a nice announcement that we could potentially get at the Game Awards, which are next week, right? Hmm? Seems like an easy trailer to throw up there and be like, ah, oh, Monster Hunter coming to next gen next year, right? Yeah. No? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I'm glad everyone agrees with me. <laughs> I love it. Let's continue on. Let's continue on. Speaking of the Game Awards, Final Fantasy 16 producer is set to appear at the Game Awards as release date speculation ramps up. So this is from Game Informer Today, which is a couple days ago now. The official Game Awards Twitter account added fuel to the fire, revealing that Final Fantasy 16 producer Naoki Yoshida, who they interviewed about the game earlier in the summer, will be a presenter at the awards next week. You guys can go to at the Game Awards on Twitter to see the full tweet. So what does this mean? Why would someone from Final Fantasy 16 be presenting an award at the Game Awards? Seems a little, you know, <laughs> telling that yeah. they probably have an announcement of some kind that is going to happen. And what a great place to make an announcement about a release date. Though I just assumed that this game was still years away. Maybe it's just because I'm a little, <laughs> you know, yeah. gun shy from how long it took to get Final Fantasy 15 to the gold status. Fair enough. I mean, the tweet went on to say that there's a very special live presentation, which, you know, if you're right, Andrea, a couple years off, they might have a teaser. Like there, there might be some concept stuff coming. Like it wouldn't be anything extensive. It definitely won't be anything like gameplay if we're years away. But Game Informer article went on to say that many are speculating that Yoshida's segment will give us a release date. And they also mentioned that recently Brazil rated the game, and this was reported in Video Games Chronicle. So a game rating usually comes pretty near to a game release, I would say within a year at the most. So that is another clue that people are starting to, you know, put together on their their red tape board and, and see if that means that we're getting an announcement anytime soon. But I don't know. My money is on teaser. And I know we're not in our prediction segment yet, but that's that's where I tend to lead. We can just roll into it with this. I mean, when Jeff tweets very special live presentation, that to me reads live gameplay oh. whether it's actually being controlled live or <laughs> it's like a like live gameplay demo i think that that's a really exciting thing because he hasn't traditionally done a lot of that at the game awards and it might be a really cool different thing for him to do to say hey maybe i need to continue to bring the spectacle to keep people coming back to my show what if i give the first gameplay of a highly anticipated game like final fantasy 16 so are you locking that in as an official prediction, Andrea? I mean, I didn't know that we were like creating our bingo <laughs> cards right now, but yeah, bets? sure. Why not? Okay. I mean, it'd be a wild thing to happen because we haven't seen it happen before, but you know, it could happen, right? Yeah, it'd make a splash. That's for sure. It definitely would. Well, let's just go ahead and talk about Game Awards predictions because we noticed that there wasn't a ton of news this week. <laughs> I did have in the In Case You Missed It, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet have achieved the best launch weekend sales in Nintendo's history, which technically that news came out right at Thanksgiving last week. So in case you missed it, <laughs> turns out people aren't mad that Pokemon is broken. They don't care. They're still buying it, as Brittany predicted. Learn the yes. lesson and yeah. do better next time. Yes. Well, you know, I don't think Nintendo knows what that lesson is, so... 
Well, it's fine. We're definitely not Ooh. teaching it. So <laughs> yeah, we aren't. We are not using our wallets to teach this lesson. <laughs> no, definitely not. And even if we were, Nintendo's like, we have so much money, we'll do what we want. Right, yeah. We don't care. <laughs> you know what? Fair. We don't, <laughs> we don't care. So let's go ahead and talk about what our game awards predictions are. Now we don't want to go like too far down the rabbit hole with these because we don't have you know endless amounts of time, but. Brooke, let's start with you. Is there anything you've seen or anything you are hoping to see or anything that we've maybe seen in the past couple of years that you're like, hey, we're due for an update on this thing? I'm very curious what Hideo Kojima is up to. We've what Death Stranding was in 2019. So we're three years out. I feel like we had some possible leaks about a project that might be underway. There might be some footage out. We all know that he has a bromance with Jeff that just rivals (laughs) the greatest of all bromances. So I wouldn't... I'm going to make an admission right here. Yeah. I watched the leaked footage. Did you see the leaked footage? I did. I did not. Oh, you didn't? No. Oh. Oh, well, there was actual gameplay footage. And like the funny part about this, Rihanna, (laughs) is that the guy who uploaded it was recording it on his cell phone and you can see him in the reflection Mm -hmm. on the computer and he's shirtless and the YouTube comments are fire. Everybody just going in on this guy who's like half naked, like holding his phone. And you can clearly see his face in the video. And it's like, did you think that no one was going to notice that you are visible? Like, you're going to get in a lot of trouble, dude. Like, what are you doing? Okay, I have seen that, or at least those memes. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely hilarious to me. Like, like if they didn't make it more obvious that you're recording a screener by usually having your name sort of like bouncing around like the DVD menu used to go. Watermarked, yeah. Like, this person literally put their <laughs> entire torso in the video <laughs> and then posted it. It's amazing. Uh, Sorry, but I digress. Please continue. <laughs> so you think Kojima-san's poised to reveal what this is? I, I think so. I don't know how, when you're at the Artur level that he is, I don't know that you get pushed into, oh, well, this was already leaked, so I kind of have to do that. He can kind of do what he wants. But I do feel like that three-year mark, people are curious what's happening and I feel like he would do that solid for Jeff, right? Like, I feel like that that bromance. I don't know if that's just the internet culture thinking it, but they seem to have that kind of relationship where he'd want to show up for that. Um, so that's, I yeah. think, certainly something that I'm really interested in seeing what's next from them. Death Stranding was not my cup of tea, but I am always just interested what comes out of that guy's head. So, <laughs> Okay, Rihanna, any predictions? I have maybe like a little bit of a curveball prediction. And I will quickly give a disclaimer. I do work on some things that may or may not be involved with the game awards. None of my predictions have anything to do with my professional work. This is literally just me having fun. So good, because as everyone knows, she would get in a lot of trouble if she did that. So she's not going to do that because she is a professional with a capital P. Oh, yeah. We've been here before. So what... I would love to see and what would absolutely be hilarious to me is that we all, we've all heard the the feedback in the comments that the Game Awards feels like a very long hype trailer for video games, right? Like it feels very commercial, like we're just seeing nothing but advertisements and promos. And while it's super fun and we all get really excited about the projects we see, that there just tends to be a trailer for video games, right? What if we had a little bit of a curveball and we saw exclusive footage of Fast and Furious 10? At the Game Awards. And Vin Diesel goes out to present it. Okay. Wait. Wait. That would be incredible. 
I have a theory. Okay, okay yeah. go on. Here's my theory. There's absolutely no evidence to point to this. However, we did see several <laughs> actors and actresses at the Game Awards last year. We had folks like Simu Liu, the star mm-hmm. of Marvel's Shang-Chi, on stage at the Game Awards in 2021. Who's okay. to say we couldn't have Vin Diesel, who is all about family, come and talk to one of the strongest, most tightly knit communities on the internet, video games. Didn't we get Vin Diesel and Michelle Rodriguez yeah. like in 2019? For the person? Fast and Furious game? Yeah. yeah. They were in person? I think yeah. so, yeah. Yeah. Well, Unless that was a really good hologram. theory even stronger. He <laughs> yeah. could just come right, right on back. Yeah. Come back home, Vin. <laughs> Let's hang out. Interesting. You know, I think I just forgot that they're still making Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> just kidding. I'm a diehard yeah. Fast and Furious fan. I would love this too. It would be so much Let's fun, do it. right? Yeah. Like yes, it would be. Scene, just to like, you know, inject ourselves with some some outside influence and be like, oh my God, I want to see that car go in space. I was about to throw water on your on your fire here and just be like, as much as I love this, I don't think the movie marketing machine would think that the game awards are a big enough vehicle for that pun intended <laughs> uh, for that trailer uh-huh. but you know maybe they are yeah. i mean i think people sometimes don't recognize how widespread you know the game awards reach is and with the kind of splintering of where virtual events has taken us over the last couple of years there isn't really a lot to point to anymore and this isn't like a movie that we would see at a comic-con right yeah. so it's like where do you debut a trailer like this yeah where there's already so much hype and we've seen this intersection of video games and entertainment really taking off lately with amazing projects like arcane who is like award-winning yeah. video game ip and you know upcoming things like the last of us on hbo like why not continue to tighten those bonds you know see now that's what i would like i would like a new trailer for that but they feel like they're maybe too close when they've released other stuff but it's you know hopefully coming soon but i would like that i would like to see more all right that's it that's my my curveball prediction <laughs> that's good i'm into it thanks i think i mean there's so many different directions we could go with this. I would like to see two things. One, I would like to see an update from Bioware on Dragon Age. What's happening with Dreadwolf, what the official name is, where we're at. Because all we've received from them is some blog posts. <laughs> and then that one teaser we got at the Game Awards, you know, however many years ago that was. We haven't seen like an actual trailer. We haven't seen even like a CG trailer i would love to see more because i think we are under the impression that that game is ahead of mass effect 4 in the queue for release at least we assume but i mean i would take new mass effect but i i don't think we're gonna get a new mass effect trailer for quite some time but i would like to see dragon age so you know and they already have a history of doing stuff together so fingers crossed you know ea and bioware show us what's happening with dragon age and then we haven't heard from two people. Well, let me just keep this to one. So we got the official, hey, we're working on it from Capcom about Dragon's Dogma 2. And I know this is a game that not a lot of people know about, that it kind of went under the radar, Dragon's Dogma, as a wonderful RPG. And we heard from them back at their showcase earlier this summer that they were working on it. And it would be cool to see like an official trailer for it. So... Okay. I feel like yep. it'd be a good place to kind of drop that news. Because I thought it was surprising that they didn't announce 
that it was a real thing at Summer Game Fest yeah. like, or at Opening Night Live because those two streams were, are kind of like the big de facto streams that we've had for the last couple of years, you know, in lieu of a proper E3, even though we did have, you know, E3, technically the digital version. But I think that would be cool. Did either of you play Dragon's Dogma? No. No. I've heard lots about it. Like, it's a, a meme at this point, right? It's like... I don't think it's a Rihanna kind of game. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta be honest. But Brooke, I would love to hear from you what you think a, like a Doc Brooke kind of game is. Okay. Do you have one? Do you have a thing that you're like, this is like my thing I always go back to? I think I've figured it out this year, actually. So I, I'm, I'm a split person. I like either multiplayer shooting... Like, I want to play Fortnite, I want to play Warzone, I want to play Destiny with my friends. And that's sort of my happy social space, and I enjoy those games a lot. If I'm playing a single-player game, the terminology that uh, the director used for God of War about that wide linear is my jam. I love it. Like Bloodborne is a game I platinumed earlier this year. And one of the things I loved about it is the world is so wide and interesting, but I felt really guided through the game. Whereas when I tried to pick up Elden Ring, I found that I, you know, sort of drop off about 20 hours in. Same thing happens to me with like a Skyrim or something like that. So I found that I love exploring, but I need to be guided by narrative and by the gameplay and the game flow towards direction or else I just get kind of distracted and fall off. So either multiplayer shooter or some sort of wide linear experience is going to be more my jam. So knowing that, what has been the game you've played a lot of? Not necessarily your favorite game or like what you would consider the best, but like over the last two to three years, what's the game that you've just noticed? Like, I've been playing a lot of this game. I mean, Fortnite, probably, actually. Yes. Like, I've just, it's one of those games that I fall off for, like, a season, and I come back, and it's just, you know, hot and heavy, like the romance I remembered. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, truly, Fortnite's probably the game I've put the most hours into, but a single-player experience, for me, it's always going back to, like, older Bioware games. Like Mass Effect 2 and Dragon Age Origins are two games that I have replayed between the two of them at least 10 times. And there's just something about that wide experience. The worlds are so interesting. The characters are so interesting. But I still feel propelled by the narrative towards an end that I find really cathartic. And they're kind of it's kind of like revisiting an old book. That's how I feel about those games. I love that. Can I toss out, because you just sparked something in my mind, can I toss out a pie-in-the-sky game award? Not necessarily prediction, but a hope. I would love to see a Jade Empire remake. <laughs> and I know I've been beating mm. this drum for a long time. but You're like, never going to let it go. I'm with you, Ree. I'm with you, I though. Can't. I'd love that. It'd be so great, right? Like, like old-school Bioware just has a special place in my heart. And even though I have tried and not really stuck with those games that you mentioned... I am going to go back because I know I do like that wide linear experience. And and I feel like it is it is something that I want to keep revisiting. And I would love to go back to the world of Jade Empire if it was done with a new lens for 2023 or beyond. And I would play the hell out of it. That would be my pie in the sky or, or maybe a new Halo. That would be my pie in the sky. It's way too early for new Halo. They just put yeah. out the co they just put out co-op for Halo. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I want it. <laughs> You're like, I'm ready. Yeah, that's what I would say like in the audience. I feel like <laughs> that kind of announcement is 100% at the Xbox showcase yeah. at E3. Like That would not be at the Game Awards. Yeah, fair enough. Though, you know, Jeff has pulled some big heavy hitters in the past couple of years. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Just I wouldn't put money on, on, that, on that as a venue for them to announce 
a new game. But maybe we may see an update on something that's been in the works. You know, we could see a new trailer for something like Starfield, Ooh. right? That's coming out, you know, in late spring, presumably, or potentially fall, I guess, next year, depending on how far delayed the game is going to be. So we could see something like that from, you know, Microsoft Gaming Studios, or we could get maybe an update on what's happening with Perfect Dark. Oh, that would be good. You know, I feel like we don't really know a lot about what the timeline is for that game. You know, what other like big first party stuff. Um, Would Avowed be something we might see from Obsidian? Oh, yeah. Because that's, I think, coming exclusively to the Xbox and PC platforms when they talked about it. Potentially. I don't know how far along in the development process that game is. Obsidian definitely has a lot on their plate. Obviously, they just had Pentiment come out. And we know that Outer Worlds 2 is underway, which feels like that's probably still a long ways away. But it's hard to kind of nail down these big platform holders as to what they're going to do, especially now that Xbox's portfolio is enormous. Very true. We haven't heard from Coalition in a while, have we? No, but I think it's I think it's because nothing's nothing's going on. (laughs) They're taking a holiday. (laughs) I think it's because that game is is, you know, probably still in we're making the dough. We haven't even popped Uh, that baby in the oven yet. And it's going to need some time once it's in the oven. They're still, they're still raising like, the chickens that will eventually lay the <laughs> eggs. <laughs> they're like figuring out if they've got the right, if they've got the right yeast. They, you know, like that game, that game's a ways yeah, away. I feel like enough. the next gears. Fair enough. I wouldn't hold your breath. I'd say at least 2023 for a teaser, 2024 more, more realistically. Absolutely. Um, if my sources are aligned on that. So. You can just put your hopes for Gears of War announcements. I'll just hold on to Jane Empire. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. I'm trying to think like if Nintendo would do anything, what would it be? Just what would they trailer? I doubt it. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of uh, Mario. Ah, what else could there cart? It's too soon for a new cart. It's not too soon. It's been over a decade since the last one came out. All of these deluxe editions, don't let them fool you. All right? Mario Kart 9 deserves to happen, Nintendo. Make it happen. You know what I can can absolutely 100% say we will get before we get a new cart is another Jackbox. Because it never stops. It never stops. Yes. Well, you know, they're just so much fun to play. Why would they stop? They shouldn't ever stop. Please, never stop. Exactly. Just keep making Jackbox games. It would be fun if they did something at the Game Awards, yeah. but I don't know if that really would fit in. Maybe like a pre-show we do yeah. with some audience participation. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool. I'm trying to think who might be a fun musical guest appearance because oh. Jeff has been pulling some big cards mm. for musical guests. Like, and I'm like, right? hmm, he hasn't announced any. I'm guessing most of the announcements are going to start to come at the end of this week into next week. But I mean, we do have one announcement in Jeff's feed at Hozier joins Bear McCreary, who, of course, is a famed composer in the video games and feature film world um, for the world premiere performance of Blood Upon the Snow from God of War Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking more like popular music, not yeah. video game centric, something a little bit bigger. We had Imagine Dragons on stage last year. Right, right. That was fun. So it's like, hmm. But would KDA be my fa- One of my favorite memories was Green Day. I was like, mm, Green Day is cool. I mean, if, if Riot is down, it could happen. Maybe we could get like pop stars or something on stage from League of Legends. 
Oh, I mean, I've been hoping, I hoped for that like four <laughs> or five years ago when that song first came out. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. I know. But it, it, like, uh, what is it? Like K-pop you got, concerts You got to think bigger. Way bigger. Think like, like platinum selling artists. Think mm. somebody you hear on the radio. Who who do we think is going to be Lizzo. at the Game Awards? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I was like, I, Megan, I would amazing. lose Megan my goddamn mind. I also would run to the front of the, s- yeah. to the theater like Steimer and I did the, the year that Green Day performed. She, I vividly remember sitting in the audience with her and they came on stage and she looks at me and she's like, will you go up there with me? And I couldn't say yes fast enough. I just stood up and we grabbed each other's hands and we just like, no, by the way, nobody in the theater was standing. Everybody was seated and just me and Steimer running in front it. of the stage. And it's just the two of us there and we're just dancing. And then we, the camera comes over of to course. us and we made like a really brief cameo on the stream. And then of course, once one person does it, it's like everyone looks around. It's like, okay, we can all go do it now. It's that weird yeah. collective waiting moment of who's going to be the first one to go. And I was very happy that Steimer and I like led the charge to go dance Amazing. for Green Day. Because how often do you get to see Green Day in concert? I'll tell you what, if Megan know. the Stallion decides to come by the Game Awards because she is a big nerd, I would lose every shit I've ever had. Like they loved her appearance in She-Hulk. It was awesome. I wouldn't even wait. I would mob the stage. I would be diving over the backs of other people's seats. Like you could not keep me away. (laughs) I I could be misremembering. I feel like she's a Street Fighter fan and Street Fighter 6 comes out and there could be like a musical tie. And Megan Ooh. Stallion and Street Fighter. And if that happens, I know a lot of people who are going to be very happy. This may be the one thing I want more than I want Jade Empire. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a more realistic thing. Fair, fair enough. I think I think that would I think that would be awesome. I would love that as well. I'm just trying to decide if we think that Jeff would also think that's awesome. He would, right? I think so. Come on. I, who would, I mean that'd be pretty Who would turn awesome. down that idea? Imagine being like Capcom's like PR and marketing team and going to Jeff and be like, okay, so here's what we want to mm-hmm. do. We've got Megan the Stallion. How do you not just instantly say yes? Right. Don't need to hear the rest of the pitch. I Unless mean. you're <laughs> someone like Greg Miller, you don't know who it is. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Did I did I miss Greg admitting that he didn't know who Megan the Stallion was? Who she is? For a brief period of time, he was unaware, and this was not long ago, <laughs> which is well, confusing, but accurate. Uh, you know he's a busy guy he's got a small child at home yeah he has a sometimes unhealthy obsession with taylor swift so i get that that's the only person that gets recommended in his feed so (laughs) that's that's fine (laughs) so okay these are all fun predictions but we should probably wrap up this fun little section because we didn't originally anticipate doing like a full game awards prediction episode but because we have our you know, our special spoiler cast next week, we're like, let's sneak some predictions in. Um, any final things that you want to see or think we're going to see at the Game Awards? I want to see more Alan Wake. I don't care what form it takes. Okay. I just want to know what's going on. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I like it. Brooke? I think uh, something from Insomniac, one of my favorite game studios, they're working on Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man they 2? They have Wolverine. We haven't heard anything since their initial kind of reveal. So they've probably got something to talk about. So I'm hoping we hear from them. Ooh, I like that. That feels ready to be shown. I think that that's that's a really good prediction. I would like to see... My mind instantly went in a hardware Mm. 
direction. Because mm. I think this could be a fun time to reveal some hardware. So maybe we get a new launch title for PSVR 2. Because it feels like there's a lot of news happening mm-hmm. around PSVR 2 and titles that are being shown or confirmed as launch titles because that's happening in February. So really close. Yeah. I think that that'd be cool to see like a, this is like some games coming as official launch lineup games for PSVR 2. I think that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Feels, that feels like a safe way for Sony to get involved with the Game Awards without revealing like a big first party thing because they kind of had like a really big year for first party yeah. between Horizon Forbidden West and God of War Ragnarok just to name their top two nominees at the awards. Obviously, they had a bunch of other things happen in 2022 as well. And so I think that, this would, that would be a really safe way for them to be like, hey, we're not quite ready to talk about the next thing that, you know, Worldwide Studios is doing, but we're super excited about PSVR 2. It's coming. I mean, unless they were just like, here's a cool Spider-Man 2 demo. Enjoy. We would take that And then too, everyone right? loses yeah. their mind. <laughs> yep. yep. How about both? Yeah, both. For Why not Yes, exactly. All right, everybody. That is going to do it for our news and predictions. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about what we've been playing. Stick with us. We'll be right back. to the second segment of the What's Good Games podcast, where we talk about what we've been playing and any preview events we have been to. But before we get to that, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Doesn't it seem like everyone is quitting their jobs at the moment, turning their side hustle into their day job? The all-in-one commerce platform, Shopify, makes it easy to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere, whether your thing is vintage teas or recipes for ghee. Start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of your favorite businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll create an online store in your vibe. Discover new customers and grow a following that keeps coming back. Shopify has all the sales channels sorted, so your business keeps growing from an in-person PO system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Now, I know I'm not the only one out there clicking on those Instagram ads. You know who you are. And who knows, maybe someday I'll click on your business's ad next. And thanks to 24-7 support and free libraries of educational content, Shopify has got you every step of the way. It's how every minute new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify, and you will too. Now here at What's Good Games, we love how Shopify makes selling simple by integrating with other merchandise websites. So we, or you, if it's your business, can put yourself and your ideas out there. Whether your thing is making eBooks or earrings, Shopify makes success possible. When you're ready to launch your thing into the spotlight, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform backing millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash what's good. All lowercase, mind you. Type that what's good in, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash what's good to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash what's good. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Let's talk about what we've been playing, because at this time of year, there's not a lot of preview events happening. And surprise, surprise, I've been playing more Dreamlight Valley, if that wasn't apparent from the conversation we had about it last week. (laughs) (laughs) But we're not going to talk about that. I do want to talk to our special guest, Doc Brooke, about what you've been playing, of which the list in the show notes here is uh, not insignificant. So what? which one of these do you want to start with? Uh, so I've been playing a lot of Warzone 2.0. I know Reese yes. talked about it kind of at length on the podcast, so I won't rehash all of it. But I've been really enjoying it. It feels very... It doesn't really feel like a Warzone sequel. It actually feels kind of like PUBG if... PUBG was updated with some of the Tarkov and Call of Duty conventions. I It feels very similar to me, but I've been really enjoying it, and I love the DMZ co-op versus NPC kind of dynamic that adds just a different way to play in that space that I've been really enjoying. So I've been playing a lot of Warzone 2.0 and a lot of Marvel Snap. When you are a researcher and an educator, you have a lot of like five-minute gaps in between like classes and things, and Marvel Snap is perfect for that time period so spending probably more time than i'd care to admit on my phone in marvel snap as well so i have marvel snap downloaded onto my phone because everybody in my timeline was talking about marvel snap rihanna included and i have yet to actually launch a match can you for people who have also like me heard about marvel snap but don't know what it is, what the gameplay loop looks like, kind of explain how you play it in a five-minute gap. Sure. So if you are familiar with any kind of competitive card game, I play competitive Magic the Gathering. I have for like a decade, so I'm pretty familiar with that space. But if you've played any kind of card game where you are going to be placing cards and your opponent places cards in return and you kind of go back and forth trying to either destroy what they have or be more powerful than what they have, something like that. What Marvel Snap does that makes the whole process a lot faster is they overlap your turn and your opponent's turn at the same time. So the way it works is you decide what cards you're going to play at the same time your opponent decides. And then when the cards are revealed, they're revealed in sequence. And that determines the outcome, right? So I might play a card that destroys whatever my opponent played. And depending on who gets to reveal their card first, that happens. And so what I like about that is there's a depth of strategy involved in the game that's really gratifying, but it's very quick. It takes like three minutes to play a typical game and they do a really nice job of grading the power levels right so when you're starting the game you're not playing against me somebody who's probably spent 
more than 60 hours in the game at this point, right? And so they kind of wean you in and you get to learn what the cards do and then they introduce you to more powerful cards and you can kind of go from there. Okay, interesting. I like that it sounds that the balancing is there for people who are just starting out versus veteran players because sometimes companies get that right and sometimes they don't. The last mobile game that I really sunk a questionable amount of time into also had short gameplay loops and that was Lego Star Wars Battles, which I talked a lot about on the podcast and I really loved and those were also like short matches, but their matchmaking was a little bit rough sometimes, especially if you were just starting out because I think the population of players was low because it was an Apple Arcade game and is an Apple Arcade game. And I think if that game was released from its exclusivity that it could maybe have a second life. But as it stands, I think it's probably just going to be in its walled garden to die, sadly. (laughs) But not Marvel Snap. Seems like everyone's uh, having a great time. Try it. Yeah, you should. You really should. Even if you're not a big Marvel fan, because admittedly I'm not. Like, I've watched the movies, but I'm not like a Marvel comics person. I don't watch all the shows. I've really, really grown to like it. And I've actually found that the game has now made me interested in characters in ways that I haven't like seen on the screen or anything. And so I actually think it's really strategically smart for them because you can see how with battle passes and things, they're kind of integrating whatever's new with Marvel right now. Like this month's battle pass is all centered around Wakanda forever. So I think they they have something going there that I think has some legs to it. Okay. Am I going to immediately want to spend money? No. no. You don't think mm-hmm. so? I, I would say a hard no. The reason being, as Brooke mentioned, the game does a really great job of like introducing you to a basic deck. And as you know, in these card battling games, it's all about building your deck, right? So gradually sort of like meets out information to you about new cards and teases you with, you know, whatever currency you're earning by just playing regular games to unlock new cards. And anytime you do see an opponent, with a card that you haven't been introduced to, it makes it very obvious. Like the game says, hey, this is a new card. You've never seen it before. Here's it zoomed in. Click on it and see what it does. So it makes it very, very simple to understand that, oh, there are cards out there with more deeply integrated mechanics or, you know, better attributes or more risk, more reward. And it spoon feeds you a little bit, but in a way that it makes it clear I can keep building my deck out without investing any of my actual dollars if I just keep playing. Like they really just want you in that ecosystem. They don't necessarily ask you to buy credits in order to upgrade a card or to get a new card. It it unlocks fairly quickly if you just play the game. Okay. They've also introduced a new element as of the update today where you can actually exchange a currency you naturally get in the game for specific cards. So there isn't even like a heavy gotcha gimmick to it, right? If there's a card you really want, you can work to achieve it. You're not just relying on like loot crate rolls or something like that. Well, that's good to hear. (sighs) Let the new obsession begin, I guess. We got her. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Well, I have to decide. Am I going to put, you know, my time into... Marvel Snap, or am I going to play more Fortnite now that you both have been talking about Fortnite? So I had been away from Fortnite since Save the World mode originally launched. And then when No Build came out, I got really back in because of this one and Joey Noel and, you know, the rest of our our, our girl gang. And of course, shout out to, to Danny, who's played quite a bit with us, Danny Pena, of course. But 
I am excited to hear from you, Brooke, about what your experience with Fortnite is, because it sounds like you've been playing, would you say, for years? Like, you were you back in the build era? I was. I was back in the build era, although I never built. I had a friend <laughs> who built, and I just tried to shoot real good and hoped that they could <laughs> hope that they could build a tower at the end. So Because I was back when you always had to have, like, a sniping tower at the end to have any chance for a crown. I took a break from it when I was, like, really into regular Warzone. But when Warzone launched the Caldera map, which I personally hated, that was right about the time that Fortnite was like what if we got rid of building and i was like okay i'm sold again so i took a long hiatus in there but since they came out with no build i've been playing it very consistently i've really enjoyed i think where the game is at i really appreciate how they changed that map subtly so i always still kind of know what's going on but it still feels fresh and different every time with every update to the map and i think that really keeps that kind of replayability as someone who has been on and off with Fortnite since they launched the Battle Royale mode. So I appreciate that as well. So a question for you, Brooke, as a, a zero-build pioneer, <laughs> do you feel that th- this really does truly change the game? Because I know I've been beating this drum for a minute. Lots of other people have been converts, of course, Andrea included. But does this make Fortnite more approachable for people who just want to play a shooter? Absolutely. Because I think the learning curve with building was always that there's always going to be some kid in their basement who's been practicing building on pro mode. That's just going to absolutely outbuild you. And if you're someone like me who isn't going to invest the time in that, the fact that I can purely focus on two things I know from every other video game I've ever played, which is I point and shoot and I try to heal myself, right? The two base mechanics of most shooters, I think it makes it way more approachable and way more accessible. I mean, there are nuances to it. And what I like about Fortnite is it has a lot of layers. But at the end of the day, you just need to be the last one standing. And I think the no build mode is like the purest form of that. And I've noticed, at least in my personal playgroups, a lot of folks who were either unhappy with where Call of Duty was at, or they were tired of some of their other shooters have come to Fortnite and found it very approachable and very exciting, especially in the like the last two seasons. I've noticed that. And I'll admit, as somebody who's played a lot of shooters and really enjoys the shooter genre, both third person and first person, when I got into Fortnite No Build, I was a little off-put by how cartoony it felt, how kind of like slippery it felt, the reticule didn't feel precise, and the guns just felt like cartoonishly comical. And I was like, I don't really think I'm going to like this, though I'm having fun playing with my friends. But after some time, you start to, like any game that you keep putting hours into and keep practicing... You start to figure out which guns you like, you know, how they work for you and your play style, how they work in certain scenarios. And of course, the meta, like in any live service game, keeps changing about the way that the guns interact with all of these special abilities and things. I think the wildest times I've had so far in Fortnite were during that Dragon Ball Z <laughs> activation. With the cloud, the Nimbus, that was just And, and the like Kamehameha. Yeah, and I was just like, what is going on? But I loved the kind of chaos yeah. of that, right? And the idea that it makes the game more fun and there's a lot of 
community unity around those events. And I think that's a testament to the team at Epic for really putting in the work to say, hey, we don't want to just do throwaway license grabs for big popular franchises that people know. We want to do something that makes sense in our world and that players are going to like and want to come back and keep playing. And I think that's why they've done such a fantastic job of reinventing themselves and keeping this game fresh because the battle royale genre was really hot three, four years ago. And now it's like cooling off, right? I think people are like, hey, well, I can only do so many of these. And it kind of feels like it's really weaned down to just the people who are really continuing to innovate on the gameplay loop because you can't just keep playing the same thing over and over again, which is a testament also to the team at... Activision and all of the studios that worked on Call of Duty, not only the Modern Warfare 2 multiplayer, but Warzone 2.0, the fact that they launched both of those things, I think is maybe lost on some people the magnitude of work that goes into just doing Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 multiplayer, and then on top of that, doing Warzone 2.0 at the same time, essentially. They were like a week apart, two weeks apart. That's massive. That's a massive amount of work from thousands of developers. And with some minor hiccups, like every multiplayer game has, it seems like they're crushing it. I was really nervous when I saw that time window because I was like, oh no, don't bring Warzone 2 out to die. Like, don't do it. Don't do it to me because I love Warzone. But I have been really genuinely impressed at how functional that game is and it has like its minor glitches and things but you are right they deserve a lot of kudos because within two days they had fixed most of the server connection issues and that game is really playable and feels different for what warzone was but is so fun and gratifying and functional i was really relieved honestly and i think i'm gonna be playing it for a long time so they deserve all the kudos for that hundred percent. Yeah. Just as Brooke said, there, there are, of course, some technical glitches and issues at the beginning, especially for Warzone. But within a couple of days, they were addressed. And since then, I have not had a single issue in a game. I can't say that about first Warzone. I can't say it about PUBG. <laughs> yeah. I can't say that about a lot of these VRs. <laughs> so it is incredibly impressive. And, and that team is doing a great job. Well, let's play. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we'll set up a time. So Rihanna, you have also been playing God of War 2018. I have. What made you go back? Was it the spoiler cast that we recorded and you were like, oh man, I need to know. I need to know all the things. So I won't spoil anything for Ragnarok or for God of War 2018 because there might be people like me who haven't finished it. But we had our spoiler conversation for Ragnarok and there were many revelations (laughs) to the storyline that we discussed. And as somebody who usually does want to go into an experience fresh and to, you know, have those moments, you know, take my breath away for the first time, I got really excited about the storytelling in the God of War Norse series in general after that conversation. So I had never finished God of War 2018 and it is available right now for PC on Steam. And I have a Steam Deck, so I figured why not, you know, low-key review it for the Steam Deck. So here are my thoughts. And again, spoiler free, God of War 2018 on the Steam Deck is functional. And 
I enjoy playing these, as Brooke said, wide linear experiences on my Steam Deck because handheld is just where it's at for me right now. Whenever I'm in a single player experience, I want it close to me. I want to be able to like scroll on my phone occasionally while I'm pausing and I want to be in bed. And in order to do that, I can't use the TV. So I enjoy having something close so that if there is something that needs a little bit more scrutinization, like the map, I need to zoom in and figure out where a waypoint is, or I'm looking at a piece of lore and I want to be able to see it a little bit closer. It's nice to have that because, you know, I wear glasses. I am nearsighted. Sometimes I need to pull things close to my face. But one thing I will say about the performance of God of War in the Steam Deck is that it is not optimal. And in original graphic settings, so you could either have it low, high, original, or custom. You can, you know, toggle all the different graphic settings individually. On original, it runs fine in the cutscenes, but it definitely pixelates while you're fighting and running, which is very unfortunate because you, of course, do that quite a bit in a game like God of War. It gets very hot. And I've said this about the Steam Deck, especially the one that I have, which is the mid-tier model. It made me concerned a couple of times because of how much performance demand this game had on the Steam Deck and how hot the actual unit got. So there was one time when I played this game very early in the beginning, I would say maybe like hour four or five, where it actually cut my Steam Deck off because it was overheating. Since then, it has been fine, and I haven't had that same issue, but I have had screen tear and frames per second slow down to the point where I couldn't play it and had to hard reset my console. So I will give a a disclaimer. This game does not run perfectly on the Steam Deck, but it is a perfect Steam Deck game, if that makes sense. Have you played it at all on your actual PC? I have not. Just on the Steam Deck. Okay. Have you tried it on the PlayStation? Yes, back when it first came out. Okay. Okay, so not this, not recently in this playthrough. You tried it back when it first came out in 2018, but you haven't played it recently because they did a bunch of like upresing mm-hmm. for the PS5. No, I have not played but the you 2018 game recently. No, no, because they that game is not <laughs> cross progression. Right. It would be nice if they let you bring your save, like Ubisoft let you bring your Assassin's Creed Valhalla save across platforms through Ubisoft's Next program, which if you didn't know that, it's a really cool thing (laughs) you can do. But obviously, that's not a thing that a lot of publishers are doing that you can bring for a single player game specifically. Mm -hmm. I'm bummed to hear that you're having some performance problems, but, you know, turns out PCs have a lot of levers that they got to pull. They do. And once again, I will continue to play all kinds of games on my Steam Deck and let everybody know how it is because I know it's holiday season. Maybe Steam Deck is on your Christmas list or on somebody else's holiday wish list. It's on mine. Exactly. And Fingers crossed. Santa's bringing me a Steam Deck. It's a great platform. (laughs) It's my indie machine. It's my PC game machine. But it isn't perfect for every game. And it's important to know that. So... Just want to be 100% transparent for people. I love playing this game on the Steam Deck, but it does not run 100%. Well, I hope that the performance issues on Steam Deck specifically aren't deterring you from the experience because obviously that game was custom built for the PlayStation by Sony Santa Monica and is a chef's kiss perfection of a game. And it slightly bothers me that you're missing out on that amazing, perfect experience by playing it on Steam Deck when it's not designed to be played on Totally Steam Deck. hear you. But I'm glad if that I had a Vita. Vita lives. You couldn't play it on Vita either. It was, it was designed for the PlayStation 4, and of course it runs on the PlayStation 5 because it's more powerful. Mm-hmm. But the game, though, you but you're, you're liking the loving game. Loving the game. I'm loving the storytelling. 
like yes. I'm loving the 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 gated open world experiences where I have clear preset moments where the game says, "Hey, if we go this way, we'll continue the story, right?" And, and then the another character says, "Yeah, absolutely." And I know to turn around and finish collecting all the things <laughs> yeah. in this area before I do that. So, I am very God, much I love an it. RPG that communicates yes. that, honestly. Yes. It is such a refreshing breath of fresh air. It really is cuz I'm a completionist in a lot of ways and especially in these types of games like I don't want to miss out on anything like if there's a chest I can't get to yet then another character says I think we need another tool for that I'm like okay good thank you <laughs> I would have tried to crack <laughs> this for the next Don't make me beat hour. my head against the wall trying to figure out a puzzle I literally cannot solve until I unlock something later 100%. on 100% so yes. it's being very respectful of my time which as you know is very big for me and I'm having a great time with the story and learning these characters that mean so much in the Ragnarok story that I'm starting to make a lot more of those connections. And I'm even more excited to finish Ragnarok now. That's awesome. really exciting to hear. And not uh, giving any way spoilers, even though that game is, you know, four years old at this point. That game has just as much, if not more, stuff in like the post game slash end game to discover as Ragnarok does. So even after you think you're done, I would encourage you, if you are so inclined and desire, there is more to be experienced after like the credit okay. roll. I'm down. This is my holiday game. Aside from playing Destiny and getting prepared for our stream, uh, this is definitely the game <laughs> yes. I'll be playing over the break for sure. Great. And Brooke, you are going to be playing God of War in cosplay? What's that so, about? I put my foot in my mouth is what I did. <laughs> I am part of a couple of fantasy critic leagues where we were all deciding what games we were going to draft. And I made the bold claim in two of the leagues that I didn't think God of War Ragnarok was going to come out this year. I figured it was going to come. I thought it was going to get pushed back to Q1 of 2023. Sony Santa Monica traditionally has had one to two delays. I was like, this seems right. This feels right to me. But it was already delayed from 2021. Right, but I, I, I thought we would get just one more scooch, right? I thought it would just happen one yeah. more time. A little bump to a February. A little bump to February, <laughs> since that seems to be a time that Sony also really likes to have their sort of mainline AAA titles go. I was like, great. I then doubled down on this and said, if I was wrong, I would wear full Kratos cosplay and play on my charity streaming channel. And unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, I was so confident. This is what happens when you're confident. And so unfortunately, I have to now eat crow. And I do. I'm right next to me. I have a fake beard. I have a bald cap. Hold on. I have. Do you have oh, it within do, arm's I reach? Do. I have paints. I have a bald cap ready. I have a glorious fake beard. Ah, uh, yes, a beard! <laughs> I have it all. And I am going to be raising money for Extra Life on Sunday, playing God of War Ragnarok as Kratos. I'm working on my best boy impression. <laughs> and uh, yes, so I haven't gotten to play it yet because I was holding out for the stream. But I'm very excited. Everything I've seen about it is fun. And I'm hoping I can do Kratos justice on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. I think whatever you do will be incredible because it's it's for the kids for extra life. So where can people come watch you embody, embody Kratos? <laughs> the man from Sparta, the god uh, yeah. of war. Um, so you can find me at twitch.tv slash docbrook, and I spell Brook with an E at the end. And I will start streaming at about 6:30 Eastern time, and I'll be streaming for the next couple of hours. So even if you're Pacific time, come on through and you can have a good laugh and hopefully. 
hopefully help raise some money for the kids. Wonderful. We'll, of course, put that link in the show notes if you want to click on that and you're listening to the podcast in a timely fashion, of course. <laughs> that's going to be... That's going to be wonderful. I think that that's I great. <laughs> I'm slightly sad for you that like, I think the best gameplay components of the game are like past the 10 hour mark. So you're not going to get to see that, but hopefully you'll keep playing after, after your stream and, and discover just the wonderful, wonderful game that Ragnarok truly is. So before we end this segment, and I ask Brooke a couple questions about what she's been working on. I want to mention that I started playing Pentiment, which is the new medieval RPG adventure game. I wouldn't even call it an RPG. I think I would call it like a straight like adventure game, like a classic adventure game from Obsidian. And I am not having a great time oh, with no. it. And I am mm-hmm. kind of bummed because I read a bunch of things online from colleagues and peers who had played and really loved it. And I'm trying to decide if it's because I need a more like snappy gameplay experience and I don't want to kind of, you know, languish in a lot of heavy narrative or if it's just because this style of game is just not my cup of tea. I will say I love the art style. It's what really drew it to me when they first announced it, this really hand-drawn medieval picture book page flipping, authentic scroll script, even down to when you advance the dialogue, it has like the sound of like someone like writing out the script. Really true to this medieval theme, but the story is just boring. (laughs) I'm just going to say it. It's boring. It's like it follows this guy and... He's this artist and you can like choose to be full of yourself. You can choose to be gracious. And I'm like, okay, I already don't care. (laughs) And the whole story is around like this town. And then you discover that this like murder has happened. And then it's about figuring out what's going on with the murder and all that. And maybe if it's going to unfold into a cool murder mystery, that is where people are like really getting jazzed about it. But I'm not sure, obviously, you know, how the narrative is going to unfold because... I've just started the game, but I I don't think I want to keep going because the gameplay loop just feels so slow because there's really nothing to do except walk between pages or scenes and then have conversations with people. Mm. While at first glance, that doesn't seem like that's it's that unusual. Even a game like Life is Strange, which is one of my favorite franchises, is very similar. It's mostly just having conversations with people, but there is a lot of like discovery of like picking up items, looking at things. And there's a little bit of that from my experience with Pentiment so far. It's not as immersive because it's not 3D. It's all 2D. And because of the art style, it all is kind of locked to its theme. And so it doesn't feel like I have any relatable moments. And in fact, one of the opening dialogue scenes had me like pause for a moment and be like, am I mad about this? Or am I going to let this go as like it's a period piece and it's fine? And I've found myself having a lot of these conversations with myself. And I don't know if I'm the only woman out there, but I feel like I've gotten triggered by dialogue about women and women's roles a lot with media lately. And it's not just video games, it's movies and TV as well. Like I was just watching recent episodes of Yellowstone. Yellowstone is a very popular television series. According to all their data, they're like the most popular drama on TV or whatever. And there's a lot of pregnancy trauma in the opening episodes of Yellowstone. And I'm just like, why do we keep coming back to this? And 
I talked about that about with House of Dragon. I'm like, okay, there's it's in there too. I'm like, why do we keep having this? And then in Pentiment, there's not pregnancy trauma, but there's this these dialogue lines about women and how a woman's worth is, is she pretty enough to marry? And I'm like, okay, I get that it's a medieval story. And that's 100% part of it. Like arranged marriage and women being married off to men they've never met. And like your worth is pretty much like, are you going to be good enough for someone to like essentially bargain as somebody's wife or not? But I just like, I don't have the the palette for it right now. And I'm so I, I keep, but I keep freaking running into it. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be mad at these properties because they're clearly trying to do period things. But at the same time, I'm like, but why, why is this the thing you chose to write? And as I've played through the opening hours of Pentiment, I stopped playing because I was like, I don't know why Obsidian chose to write this story, especially with all the amazing stories that they've told over the last couple of years. I mean, just coming off of even like Outer Worlds and how great the writing is in that game. I'm just like, why this game? And I know that I need to see more to fully evaluate it, but I'm not drinking the tea or the Kool-Aid or whatever you want to call it on this one. And it kind of bums me out. Yeah, that's where I'm at with Pentiment. I I wanted to really be into it because I have always really enjoyed Obsidian Games. But so far, I've been like, I don't really want to spend my very few precious hours that I have to play video games on a game that I like am not having fun with at all. So I feel like I'm going to like walk away from it and play something else. And I, that's a bummer. Have either of you played any of it yet? I haven't yet. It's on my list. But I will say at first I was turned off by the gameplay style because while I'm curious about games like Monkey Island, if it's if there's a game that is just 100% dialogue, it is I just know it's not for me. But that's pretty much yeah, this game. I just know it's not for me. I, I like action. So I was hesitant at first and kind of swayed the other way when I saw incredible reviews come out for the game, you know, as it was releasing and from, you know, friends and colleagues and insights that I trust and and follow quite often uh, with game reviews and their opinions on them. However, after hearing your experience and knowing that that's probably just not a game that I would vibe with, I'm kind of almost arriving back at my original conclusion where I don't know if it's for me. I will give it a try, but when I have something else to play, I'm probably going to choose something else. How are you with adventure games, Brooke? I love them, but I find that the writing can really make or break it for me. I was someone who grew up with like a lot of the Monkey Island games, and I really enjoy like the wit and humor. And I have found that with some of the like adventure games that are really dialogue-driven that are more serious, uh, I have to be really compelled in like the first five hours to stick with it, right? So I don't know how much time you've played with it. People have recommended Pentiment to me because I tend to play a lot of artistic games or games that address different social issues. It's part of what my like Twitch channel is geared toward. So I had it on the list, but hearing even what you've experienced so far has made me go, mm, I might have to research this a bit more before I commit the time and the the space to play it on Twitch or anything like that. And I do want to make sure that people know that, that one scene that I called out in Pentiment about like the, you know, is she pretty enough to marry kind of line. There is a dialogue choice to be like, why does that even matter? I don't care about that. There is an option to pick that, which is what I picked as a character. But the fact that they even wrote that in, I'm like, but why? (laughs) And I know that people listening who are big fans are like, well, because it's clearly part of like medieval culture, just like a lot of fanboys of House of the Dragon said about 
you know, like the pregnancy trauma stuff, like, oh, well, that's how the way it is back then or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but there's somebody on the writing team who's choosing that decision, who is saying with intention, this is the story I want to tell and this is how I want to tell it. It's not like this just happens by circumstance. Like somebody has to say it and then somebody else, in fact, many people have to implement it at great cost. (laughs) It's not like it's cheap to just animate or shoot something with these words, right? It's not like it's like words on a page. I don't know why I just keep having issues with this and I'm trying... (laughs) I'm trying to figure out like why it's bothering me. Obviously, like the pregnancy trauma stuff is like very obvious why this stuff bothers me. But I think like I'm trying to figure out, is there a balance for me as a person who regularly has to evaluate media, particularly video games, but I also, you know, like watch a lot of TV and shows. How do I kind of grapple with my personal biases against these storylines with trying to manage how they serve the story of the thing that they're doing? But I just keep running into, this seems just like lazy fucking writing. (laughs) And I expect more from Obsidian because they are such a pinnacle of narrative design. And having met their narrative team, and I did a panel with a whole group of wonderful women from their narrative team on the Outer Worlds. And obviously, that's not the same team that's working on this game. But so I'm just kind of like scratching my head going like, what happened here? And Maybe there is just something I'm missing. So if you've played Pentiment and you're listening to the podcast and you're willing to write to us and let me know like, hey, Andrea, this is what's coming and why I think that maybe you should give it a second chance. If you're so inclined, I would be open to hearing your argument. Let us know. Contact at whatsgoodgames.com or just tweet to me at Andrea Renee. If you can do it without spoilers, of course. If you want to include spoilers, I'm good with that if you send us an email. But don't tweet spoilers. That's bad form. Anywho, that's what we've been playing. I want to talk to you, Brooke, about what you've been working on because a lot of people may have heard your name. We obviously have talked about you on the show. We've tossed your name on the stream several times, but maybe they don't know this cool thing that you're doing. So you and I talked about meeting up at TwitchCon recently. Unfortunately, our schedules didn't align, but you were there doing research as part of a project. Could you talk to us a little bit more about what your research yeah, is? Yeah, so I can give you some generalities. Total disclaimer that I'm not revealing any actual under-review research. I have to say that just for my own form. But I am a PhD candidate at the University of Maryland, and I received a grant actually from Twitch to do some work specifically looking at how different communities in the sort of the Twitch content creator community use the platform and the infrastructures of the platform to benefit social change or social good. So I personally create content on Twitch as part of that. It's what we call in my discipline a digital ethnographic experience. So the idea is that you are part of the community that you're also working with and you do this for a period of time. I've been streaming for more than two years at this point. And you work alongside the people who are also making this content and you learn what questions they have, what concerns they they have. When hate raids were a really big thing on Twitch, I did a lot of work with the different communities trying to figure out, well, Twitch isn't necessarily banning them, but we have developed different ways to program our macros on our Steam decks to help us combat these things. That type of work with particularly Twitch streamers to figure out how they are navigating the content creation space, but then also how we can use that for things like social goods. So part of the work I was doing at TwitchCon was I was talking to some content creators and I was also experiencing the con as a content creator to see sort of how Twitch relates to people 
making content on the platform as well. So it's a broader research agenda looking at what it's like to make content online and the challenges that come with that, but then also the good that can come from that as well. That's phenomenal. I think that that's such a fascinating thing that you're doing, and I'm so glad that you're doing it. I would love to hear what you think about Shield Mode, this new thing that Twitch just launched. I saw a couple stories about it this week, and it's clearly designed specifically for hate raids. But before you answer what you think about Shield Mode, for people who aren't in Twitch culture and don't know what a hate raid is or even what a raid is, could you explain kind of like what hate raids are? Yeah, so I'll answer the question a bit in reverse in that a raid is when a content creator on Twitch takes their community that's currently actively watching them and says, hey, we're going to go over to somebody else's stream. I'm going to bring over all of my viewers as well as myself, and we're going to raid a channel, which just means you essentially redirect your viewers to someone else's channel. You are immediately put into their chat. And the function was put in so that streamers could support friends, people who are on content creation teams with, that type of thing, with viewership. What started happening in, I think, a large response to some of the Black Lives Matter protests and things that were happening in 2020 is certain content creators were taking their communities and they were targeting certain creators on the platform, primarily Black, Indigenous, and persons of color, also especially women of color in particular, with their communities. But then they were using things like racial slurs in the chat. They were using derogatory emotes in the chat. And they were otherwise harassing these content creators in the space. And so those were termed hate raids. And when the phenomena really, it had existed before, but it gained like a whole new sort of push in the summer of 2020 and into 2021. And so... The content creators at the time were really frustrated because they were pretty vocal with Twitch about something needs to happen, something needs to happen. And, you know, I'm not privy, even though I have received funds from Twitch, I don't know how the infrastructure works. I'm not part of the design team. Total disclaimer. They couldn't implement anything really fast enough. And so what I'm really excited about with Shield Mode is it sounds like they've taken a lot of the feedback that they've received from their content creator communities in the last two years and said, well, if this is a problem and a recurring problem and a problem that seems to come in waves based on sort of the social politics of what's happening around the world, but primarily in the U.S. as well, this is a way that content creators can try to protect themselves from that type of harassment. Because like most things on the Internet, right, there are terms of service agreements People get banned. People do get shut down for doing this, but that doesn't actually prevent the initial acts of harm from happening to content creators. So I am really excited about the shield mode, but hopefully that explains some of the context a bit better for y'all. I think you crushed it. That was a great explanation. And it's really interesting that we talk about what Twitch is or is not doing, because I think there's been a lot of eyes on Twitch over the last couple of years about are they doing enough? They're not clearly protecting their community, but they're profiting off their community. And it feels like they're now, over the last like six to 12 months, really trying to roll out tools. And clearly the community thinks it's not fast enough. And I think that there is a balance between, hey, we can only write code and engineer things for a platform as quickly as we have the the manpower to do so. But then there's the, well, maybe you should have thought about this in the first place. And it sucks that human nature for some people on this planet goes to such a dark place that 
you have to think of the worst case scenario all the time. And that's why shield mode existed. I do appreciate that Twitch has mentioned that shield mode can be toggled on and off. So that way, if it's like over quickly, you can creators who are streaming can toggle back to their regular settings when it's over. And it's not just about hate raids, that it could also be for times when people are featured like on the front page. Like I've seen several friends of mine who've gotten these amazing features and that they just have to, instead of spending their time showcasing the world, their content, they're working with their mods to try to make sure that there's not this toxicity happening in their chat instead. And it's like, what a, what a way, what a way, you know, like, why is it that a front, front page feature on Twitch always comes with that as like a caveat. So I'm with you that I hope that shield mode is going to start really improving the workflow for creators who are doing so much for the Twitch community, because it's not fair that people get targeted like this. It's just not fair is like a such a reduction of it. It's like it's fucking yeah. shitty. Well, and it sometimes is. it's like outright cruel, right? Like, I mean, because sometimes it's yeah. people with incredibly large followings targeting people who have less than 40, like 400 followers, right? So there's like a power disparity that's happening with some of it too. So I'm hoping that what Shield Mode indicates is that Twitch is taking these concerns seriously. Sure, I think personally they could be faster with the rollout because they've needed this for a long time but if they are listening now that's great and i hope they continue to listen because i'm sure unfortunately like you said the nature of people they will always find loopholes they'll always find new ways to grief and troll folks and i think the best that we can all try to do is be good to each other and support content creators in the space who are doing really great work who may be experiencing these things unfairly and hope that we push for Twitch to keep listening to them when they say they need things to protect themselves and to keep making good content. Is there a situation where somebody experiences a hate raid fairly? Hmm. What could that situation... Ponder that for a second. You don't have to answer it. We can leave it as a rhetorical question. What would that uh, potentially look like? A little bit hate read. Maybe a, um, uh, constructive criticism <laughs> and yeah. or feedback read. Yeah. Stop, a being, a, a stop being a sexist okay. jerk raid where everyone just goes, consider not in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. But. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm with that. The yeah. feedback, yeah. feedback raid. <laughs> I like it. We can start a trend. The feedback raid. It's great. It's great. So if people want to find you in your streaming, you know, what are you streaming these days? You know, how often do you stream? Obviously, you're in school. You also are yes. a teacher <laughs> on top of the fact that you're actively working towards your PhD. And then you're like, on the side, I'm going to also stream like there's endless amounts of hours in the day. Yeah. So you can always find me on Sundays consistently on Twitch at DocBrook. You can also find me on just about every social media platform in some fashion at DocBrook. I have achieved a platform synergy as for, and unity as far as my name across places. So Instagram, Hive, all that stuff, TikTok. So I have content in all those places. And always feel free to send me a DM, especially if you're interested in the kind of work and research that I do. I love talking about it to people. So please reach out. I'm always happy to have you. But Sundays is the primary time you'll find me on Twitch. And I do want to give a little space for the story about how this moniker came to be. Oh, yeah. So I originally had a username called the Hikatea, which was 
very Greek. It's a reference to a Wonder Woman comic, and I thought it was really cool, but no one could pronounce it. And as I got involved with the What's Good game community, you even just yeah. saying it again, the Hecate. I'm not like the yeah. memories are flooding back of me <laughs> seeing all of the consonants on screen, being Why? like, I don't, I don't know. What's, it's I a, it's a deep cut to a Greg Ruck Wonder Woman comic, which is fire if you like Wonder Woman comics. It's absolutely great, but deep cut and. Um, one of the wonderful mods in the What's Good community, one of the great organizers, Speltron Brit, and I started playing Rainbow Siege together. And she was like, I'm not calling you that. And I was like, okay, well, what are you going to call me? <laughs> what are you? It's a hard thing to call out when you're in a Rainbow Six fair. match. It really Which is. Which is fair. And uh, Speltron Brit is a pretty great wordsmith. And she was like, well, you, you, you're going to be a doctor, right? And I was like, I hope so. Because I was still in my classwork at the time. I was like, I hope so. She was like, all right, I'm going to start calling you Doc Brooke. And that name stuck, and it's a lot easier to pronounce, and it worked really well for when I started streaming, so I have uh, Spelt Ron Britt to thank for the, the switch over, but we, uh, we remember the Hikatea fondly, but we are grateful <laughs> for much easier to pronounce names. <laughs> Shout out to Spelt Ron Britt, Big Snap. She's a, a huge part of the What's Good Games community, and I look forward to drinking whiskey with her again one day, hopefully at PAX East 2023. But it's been so wonderful to have you on the show. And again, for people who are listening, if you are around this coming Sunday, two days after the podcast launches, please stop by Brooke's channel, twitch.tv slash docbrook to help her raise some money for Extra Life. And clearly, we got to get some clips of you in this in this Kratos makeup. <laughs> so are you doing the makeup on stream? Or are you doing it ahead, <laughs> of, the ahead of the stream? Because I have no idea how long it will take. I might I might do it at <laughs> lunchtime and just be sitting in my office for half the day as Kratos. <laughs> just to make sure that I have it done. I, uh, yeah, I you have to document that. <laughs> oh, oh I, I will. I will. I'm documenting it for the kids, but I'll, I'm looking forward to it and practicing my boy as much as possible. Amazing. I cannot wait. It's going to be so good. Well, and thank you for having me. It's been great. Absolutely. I'm so glad that we could get you on the show. And I know Britt is sad that she couldn't be here to be on the show with you, but it just means that once your research is out there, we're going to have to revisit this and have you back or maybe even sooner. Let's play some yes, Warzone. Yes. Let's play some Destiny. Let's, Let's do the thing. some Fortnite, Andrea. All of them. All of the above. <laughs> yes. Like, just like put it on my to-do list and we'll figure out which one to do first. <laughs> All right, everybody, we will be back next week, as I said, with our special God of War Ragnarok spoiler cast. So, of course, if you haven't played the game, you might want to just, you know, peek into the episode in the beginning and then dip out once we give the official warning sign. Because we do talk to the wonderful Lucy James from Giant Bomb, and she's great. And we talked to her about what she's been working on ahead of the spoiler cast. So please do join us for at least that part of the conversation. And then we will be back the week after with some more of our regular goodness. All right, everybody, have a good weekend. Bye. Bye. Bye.